Greetings, and welcome to the Tapestry Podcast. My name is Chris Turner. Tapestry is the adoption and foster care ministry of Irving Bible Church in Irving, Texas. Joining me today is the executive director of Tapestry, Mr. Ryan North. Hey, Chris. How are you, Ryan? Well, how are you today? I'm doing good. Awesome. Last time on the podcast, we talked about understanding our kids' histories. We defined a hard place, since all of our adoptive and foster care kids come from a hard place. And we talked about the six primary risk factors that characterize children from a hard place. To recap those uh, six risk factors, they are prenatal stress and harm, difficult labor or birth, early medical trauma, trauma, which can either be you know a single event or a recurring event, neglect, and abuse. And we wanted to talk this uh, time a little bit more about those and how to respond to the fear our children may have as a result of those and how we can connect with them. So, Ryan. Yeah, so I, I was just thinking about the, the trauma when you, when you mentioned trauma, whether that is a single event or a recurring event. I think we have to remember that the trauma can both um, can be physical or emotional, mm-hmm. um, mental, and so I want to kind of focus on that just for a second, if we could, because as part of that trauma, we have to understand that the children uh, who were adopted or placed in foster care have experienced profound loss. And another thing that reading The Connected Child helped me understand was, you know, even when we brought our daughter home from the hospital, you know, the, the nurse walked her us out of the car and strapped her into the car seat uh, at the hospital when we brought her home, that... Um, Understanding the loss that she had experienced was key in in helping us parent her well, because we were of the mindset that hey, born hospital, our house, no issues. Right. Part of that is we think no issues because we truly believe there'll be no, there'll be there'll be no negative issues, and the second part of that is we really want to believe that there'll be no negative issues because it's easier just to assume that, but. You know, understanding the the relationship between a baby in utero and their mother is key there, and understanding that that baby uh, makes their appearance here with the rest of us, knowing the sound of their mother's voice, right. just having this intimate relationship with their mother, and then all of a sudden, this person is not there. And so, even in in the best of situations, um, you know, with private placement adoptions where mom has received the best prenatal care she's had a stress-free pregnancy as much as that's possible she hasn't been on bed rest Um, she's been healthy getting all the proper nutrition and rest that she needs Um, there is still the stress of knowing that you're giving your baby up for adoption which you know from speaking to some birth mothers over the year have come to understand that 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 even though you have decided that that is what's best for your child that is still stressful and right. weigh, and weighs on you. And then all of a sudden, the baby makes their appearance in the world, and um, they don't get to hear that voice that they've got to hear. You know, I know a lot of pregnant women who like look at their stomachs and speak to their child. Mm-hmm. You know, so so there is that sense of loss, even in the best of circumstances. You know, and we spoke to a group of folks about this recently, and you could see some people in the room. You know, when you can see that the light went off in, in somebody's uh, in somebody's you know in their eyes, you can see in their eyes that they mm-hmm. they get it. There are a couple of folks that you just like, oh, you know, I really hadn't really thought about that. Um, one mom who's an adoptive mom that could see her, she's starting to cry. Because I don't think that, I think the story, we don't want to deal with the loss. We want to look at the positive. We want to move right. forward. But we can't move forward unless we've assessed where we are. And so, you know, one of the things that, that I heard years ago 
um, that I just love and now share with people. And I don't even remember who I heard it from. Um, and so I can't give them proper credit, but they said, um, the story of adoption means that our child's loss must become our loss. Right. And, and all that means is that from the day our, our, our kid arrives at home, what we're saying is that from this moment forward, my history and your history intersected at this point, and now my history and your history have to become our history. Mm-hmm. And in order for it to become our history, because we only focus on the becoming our history moving forward, but the truth is that for it to become our history moving forward, it has to be our history looking back as well. And so... There's two ways to hold hands. There's the um, you know the prayer circle hand holding, which is you know, palm to palm, but there's the on a date at the amusement park with your sweetheart finger interlock, and you know we've come to understand that that when our kids arrive home, we don't do, do don't do the prayer circle hand holding. We do the the finger interlock. We can't. We're not breaking this. We're in this together. I'm with you. I'm for you. Now, there there was me and you, and now there's us. Right. Now, I remember reading, uh, hearing one time that Muhammad Ali uh, spoke at, I think it was Harvard's graduation, but don't, don't hold me to that. He, uh, he was asked to, uh, to speak, and he looked at the crowd, stood behind the microphone for a couple of seconds, leaned forward and said, me, we, and told him that was his favorite poem ever. <laughs> because we cannot think of me and you. We have to think in terms of us, right? It's like getting married. You know, from this moment forward, you're, you're joining, right? Two shall become one. And there's all sorts of uh, language that we've used historically uh, for weddings. But I remember from our wedding, um, my brother um, performed our ceremony and he said, you know, what this means is that from this moment forward, what's best for you as Ryan and Kayla has to be more important than what's best for you as Ryan and what's best for you as Kayla. And adoptions like that, right? From this moment forward, what's best for us is more important than what's best for me. That's right. how we have to look at it. Um, you know, Jesus in Luke talks about picking up your cross daily and following him because true love has an element of self-denial and it has an element of sacrifice. You know, True love always ends up costing you something. It always makes you vulnerable, right? Right. Uh, and so that how, that's how it has to be for our kids when, when they be, come home is that it has to be this this what's best for us now is more important than what's best for me and what's best for us now is helping helping our kids um heal and understand and process uh their story so far that's a great point ryan uh, i'd like to talk about some of the ways that hard places impact our kids in light of their personal histories we talk about the five primary ways uh, that children from hard places are impacted at our conference in in October 2015, Dr. Purvis, um, her keynote session was the impact of hard places uh, on these five things. We call them the five Bs. And so um, in the show notes, we can put a link, a link to that. That's available uh, for free on our website if people want to watch it. But um, let's, again, just go through the list and then we can discuss um, some of them in a little bit more detail. And so uh, they are uh, the five Bs are the brain. So that's uh, altered brain development in an overactive amygdala, which is the the primal part of your brain, just sits on top of your brain stem. Biology, so you know, altered neurochemistry, uh, your body, altered physical development, uh, and that also has um, some things related to sensory uh, processing, sensory things, uh, beliefs. 
That's a big one. Think about what our kids believe about themselves and then their behaviors. And so um, if you think about that and, and, and read that list quickly, uh, brain, biology, body, beliefs, and behavior, you realize that it encompasses all of our, our children. Because if you think about it, there's not going to be a part of who our child is that's not affected by those hard places. You know, we talk about how it impacts their brain, you know, altered brain development and overactive amygdala. And so we know that um, children who are nurtured, loved, and adored, um, you know, a lot of a lot of the chemicals that are released, um, a lot of brain development. We find that a lot of kids who spent some time in foster care or um, or were adopted that they are developmentally behind, right? That's why every foster parent knows that knows the name of their occupational therapist, their physical therapist, their speech therapist. One of our daughters also gets musical therapy on top of all of that. So um, because of the altered development, you know, uh, but no, it's not just the altered brain development, it's the altered um, emotional development as well. But right. specifically speaking about the brain here. So the brain of the child from a hard place doesn't develop along sort of a normal kind of progression as a child who is not from a hard place. And the overactive amygdala part, right, because a lot of their lives are spent in a fear state, fear of, will I eat again? Fear of, when that door opens, will I be hurt again? Right. And everything in between. And so uh, in the book, The Whole Brain Child, they have a thing called the handy model of the brain, um, which I know you've seen. Uh, but for those people who are listening and haven't seen it, if you just take your... Um, Take your, to your two hands, make fists and put them side by side, and that's the left and right hemispheres of your brain. Well, let's cut that in half and open it up, and then open your fist and stick your thumb inside of your fist and close it again, and that's essentially what your brain looks like. Your thumbs, the amygdala, the part of the top of your brain stem, and the primal brain, it's called sometimes, uh, and then the upstairs brain, the thinking part of your brain. So we are very... Very familiar with thinking of brains in terms of left brain, right brain, but uh, not as familiar uh, with thinking in terms as downstairs in terms of downstairs brain and upstairs brain. Right. And so this handy model of the brain shows that because of the altered fear state uh, and the overactive amygdala, which means it's overdeveloped, to separate your downstairs brain and, and from your upstairs brain happens a lot easier. Right. That's why. We know people who say who will say things like, well, my kid just flips out. Well, flipping out's not actually a bad description of it because they literally are flipping their lids. Um, they're separating their primal brain or you know that, that part where you just – the response part of your brain, your instinctive response from the, con, the thinking part of your brain where you might consider your response. Right. And when we think about our kids, how even the smallest things, you know, we'll we'll read some of these things that people post online, or we'll have people contact us. And one of the one of the recurring themes is about how little things really upset my child, and helping them understand that because of that overactive and overdeveloped amygdala, they are more conditioned and programmed for a fear response. Mm-hmm. And so, the smallest thing separates that. Now, um, one of the things we talk about you know, are some strategies and how to get reconnect your upstairs and downstairs brain and the simplest way that I can explain that without you know the 30 minute <laughs> presentation with charts graphs and images behind me the simplest way I can do that is if we want um, if we want to move people from the primal response to a thinking response then we have to move them from their primal brain to the thinking part of their brain and so um, my my daughter um, our youngest is three and a half 
And when she was about two years old, she's always been a very verbal child. I know that it's hard for you to imagine growing <laughs> up in our family will make you very verbal. But uh, she's always been a very verbal child. And we were out at my wife's grandparents in San Angelo. And she, um, they were running through the house um, as, as children, children do. <laughs> yes. And so, and especially as small children do, right? Um, right. Our, our, our one daughter probably only started walking when she was about six. She ran up until <laughs> she was six. So, uh, so our youngest is running through, uh, comes around the corner and boom into, um, into a cabinet and just erupts in screaming. And so my mother in law is closest to her and picks her up and does what, what we all do, right? Uh, and that is, was kind of like held her, patting her back, kind of rocking back and forth, saying, there, 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 you're okay. Mm. Now, all of us do that. And, uh, and I said last time, you know, one of my favorite Maya Angelou quotes was, do the best you can until you know better. And once you know better, do better. Well, trying to soothe a distressed child who is distressed because they're physically hurt, you know, picking them up, holding them close, some movement and trying to soothe them is good until you know better, right? And so I said to my mother-in-law, hey, let me try. And she's like, sure, it's your kid. And so (laughs) she handed her to me and I said, what happened? And through her tears and screaming, she tried to explain. And she said, I was running through the house. And and I I won't try to impersonate her. (laughs) Um, I I was running through the house uh, and I hit my head. Where did you hit your head? Over there. Um, I bet that hurts, sweetheart. What can I do for you? I need an ice pack. She's like two and a half, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you could hear her, she was screaming. By question number three, She's um, not she was anymore. sniffing, mm-hmm. sniffling, and tears were still on her cheeks, but she wasn't screaming anymore because she she wasn't having the primal response because she had to think. And so, so my young, my oldest son saw this. And uh, we watched him like when she'd, she'd cry about stuff. And he would say, are you okay? Do you want me to help you? And uh, I said to him, hey, buddy, don't, don't ask her questions that she can say yes or no, or no to. to. Mm-hmm. Because that doesn't require her to process what you said and think about it. Now, you may have to ask her the question a couple of times. At first, depending on, on how badly um, she's dysregulated. But by engaging that the thinking part of the brain, we move things from um, like really bad scene closer to a calm scene a lot faster than we used to because kids are smart. Right. I think we undervalue how perceptive children are, especially little children. And so when my two-year-old is crying because her head hurts because she ran into the cabinet and an adult says to her, there, there, you're okay. She's thinking, no, I'm not. Yeah, two bad, two bad <laughs> things happen, right? Yeah, she, she's thinking, uh, you're a liar because <laughs> I, I, I know I'm not okay. My head hurts and I'm crying. But I think that um, I think we like really harm trust and credibility with children when we just do the, there, there, you're fine. Now, not not critical of my mother-in-law because that's how uh, it was done for her. That's right. how she'd always done it. But just thinking about how if you'll engage somebody's upstairs brain and move them from a primal response to a considered response, you will have a lot more success in, in, bringing, in bringing that situation from where it is to a more calmed one. Because one of the mistakes we make as parents is we look at situations with our children and say, we need help. What we've decided what help looks like is where I have a kid with behavioral issues, and if I get help, I will have a kid with no behavioral issues. Well, that's a complete misunderstanding of the human condition. What it really looks like 
is I don't have the behavioral issues as frequently as I used to have them because my kids aren't living in a constant set of fear and they trust me more and we have a better connect, a better connection. We have a stronger relationship and also understanding that there'll be greater distance between behavioral issues. But, and, also, and but also, they're not as extreme when they right. do happen. That's exactly right. They're not as extreme as when they happen. Because thinking that you're going to read a book, take a course, and then by the end of that, um, you know, you'll, your kid will just be, um, you know, the, step, the Stepford Kids. Um, creepy movie, the original and the remake. That's, that's not true. And, and sometimes parents want that. I, I read some stuff recently about why having strong-willed children is good. Mm-hmm. I've always always believed that having strong-willed children are good because strong-willed children uh, grow into teenagers and adults that don't just go along with everything and don't just agree to everything and aren't pushed around. And that's very important to me because four of my six kids are daughters. And just because some guy named Quarterback was a smooth talker, I'd like my strong-willed child to say, you know what, beat it. I heard about guys like you. So, But it is, it is a dance, though, because there is a trade-off because with strong-willed children comes all the behaviors associated with that. And so we have to understand how we can get our children from, from this place of dysregulation to this place of regulation where we're calm again because there are issues, right? I'm an adult. My wife's an adult. We argue about things sometimes. But understanding that that is part of a real relationship and disagreement over something philosophically, a decision for the family, um, you know, with the kids. Our oldest son's a teenager now. And so just one day he woke up walked over that side of his brain that said disagree with everything mom and dad say and hit on because no matter what he's like no i don't think that's a great idea even I mean, if it really is a great even idea. It's a great idea. i mean like even like um i love cooking i told um was meeting with a guy yesterday about about an idea that, that we want to kind of work here through tapestry and uh, he's a chef classically trained French chef and so I told him you know one of my two super secret fantasy jobs of all time was to be a chef and the other one was to be an airline pilot um, I find both of those to be romantic pursuits uh, and in the harsh reality <laughs> <laughs> they really aren't um, so I said to him you know and because of that I, I spent a lot of time watching watching cooking shows I spent a lot of time reading cookbooks learning how to recipes my wife sent me to a knife skills class for my birthday one time because she's tired of me cutting fingertips off uh, and all of those things. And so we really, um, I love cooking. I think cooking is art. But even now with him, we'll cook something. And I'm like, man, I poured hours into this thing and poured it to the table at the peak of its powers, taste, temperature, texture. And I put it down and he looks and he goes, um, can I tell you something you could have done differently? <laughs> And I'm like, would you at least taste it taste first? It first. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I think that the um, the vegetables in the soup should have been chopped a little Fighter. smaller. <laughs> and I'm like, I was kind of going for like a rustic country French thing here. So, and so they're chopped like different sizes on purpose. Oh, well, I still think they should have been chopped all the same size. <laughs> That's about all the time we have for today. In our next episode, we're going to continue talking about the five Bs, picking up with biology and continuing on with body, beliefs, and behavior. I would like to thank Ryan for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much, Chris. If you have a question for us that will fit into 140 characters, you may tweet it to us at tapestryibc and hashtag it podcast. 
If you require a bit more room, you can email us at tapestry at irvingbible.org. You may also find us on Facebook at Tapestry IBC. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Just search for Tapestry Adoption Podcast. You may also subscribe from our website, tapestryministry.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>